Connecting Minds is a space dedicated to honoring the amazing authors, researchers, clinicians, artists, and entrepreneurs who are contributing to our collective evolution or simply making the world a better place. These thought-provoking conversations are intended to expand our horizons, so come with an open mind and let us grow together. Here is your host, Christian Yordanov. Hello and welcome to Connecting Minds. My name is Christian Yordanov and I'm so glad you're with me on this third episode of the podcast. Um, today on the show we have Brendan Vermeer who is a functional medicine consultant, board certified holistic health practitioner, master nutrition coach, master personal trainer, USAW sports performance coach, and CrossFit certified trainer. He began his career as a personal trainer and nutrition coach at the age of 19. After disappointingly being medically discharged from the United States Navy SEAL training pipeline due to an injury. After being exposed to the power of functional lab testing in the start of his career, he began intensely pursuing that as a career path which has led him to be widely regarded as one of the top leading experts in metabolic health and holistic education. When he's not educating doctors, practitioners, professionals, helping clients overcome their most severe health struggles, or producing cutting-edge scientific education, Brendan enjoys all things fitness and is probably working out. He also enjoys anything in nature and any activities that expand his heart, mind, and soul. So on today's podcast with Brendan, we'll talk about mental health, mental well-being, and functional health. Now, it occurred to me during the episode that it's better to define what functional, what we mean by functional health or functional medicine, uh, because I, I think many folks still don't are not familiar with the concept. So very briefly, when we say functional medicine or, or functional health, or uh, when I say I, I'm a functional health coach, uh, what that means, what the functional paradigm, at least the way I kind of would, would describe it, there's many interpretations and many kind of ways to describe it is, it is utilizing lab tests that help us to glean insights into the body to identify uh, metabolic or other health challenges, imbalances, issues that are generally at the root cause of chronic health complaints. So things like nutrient deficiencies, yeast candida overgrowth, fungal infections, bacterial overgrowth, bacterial infections, parasites, gluten intolerance, other food sensitivities, things like that, right? So functional practitioners look for those imbalances and address them as opposed to, you know, a, a more conventional model, at least what is the prevailing paradigm at the moment is diagnosing disease and then treating the symptoms. And of course, long-term, that's most likely not the best strategy. Now, there's, that's not to say that providing symptom relief in the near term, you know, to help someone feel better isn't a good strategy. It is definitely can, can be good, but if you only treat the symptoms, whatever is causing those symptoms will continue to fester. So this is what the functional paradigm is. So Brendan, I, I, he's taught me so much about this stuff. Uh, he is such an in incredible individual. Like I, he's only 28 and it kind of 
makes me disgusted at myself that, you know, I have done so little with my life, you know, and this guy's 28 and he's, he's teaching doctors and folks probably in some cases twice his age about these, um, you know, cutting edge science-based science, um, evidence-based modalities, you know, how to drastically improve people's health. And in many cases, these, we're talking people with extremely kind of severe, intractable, seemingly intractable health challenges. Um, so what I, what I love about Brendan is, you know, his, his knowledge of, of the science, he's such a nice guy and he has a very balanced approach to health. It's not about, it's not a, about a us versus them paradigm, you know, functional versus conventional or this kind of stuff, allopathic versus natural. Um, he, he has a balanced approach. Like I said, he has, for such a young person, he's got a lot of wisdom and I'm glad there's guys out there like him pushing, like I say on, on during the episode, pushing the envelope and teaching us, teaching the rest of us and, 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 and helping us elevate our chops so that we can help more people. And yeah, we're going to cover quite a few topics and um, I, I think you will enjoy this one, especially if you have an interest in health. Uh, even if you ha- if you have a chronic health issue, y- you probably learn some things that you know may may help you um, make better decisions. Just to remind you, the video interview is also on YouTube. The show notes will be on christianjordanov.com, where you can find links to Brendan's uh, websites, social media, and so on. And yeah, I again I'd like to thank you for joining me. I'd really appreciate you spending the time. I sincerely hope that you enjoy this episode with Brendan. And without further ado, here's our guest, Brendan Vermeer. And alrighty, we are live. So today on the Connecting Minds podcast, we have your functional health bro, Brendan Vermeer. Brendan, thank you so much for taking the time out, man. Oh, no, it's it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, my friend. I'm, I'm excited to chat today. That's awesome. That's awesome. So let's, um, I was reading your blog last night, kind of, uh, I was on your website um, and I was somewhat, uh, you know, shocked to kind of read a little bit more of your story. You always seem to me like, um, you know, like a dude that came out of high school and just started crushing it, you know, like uh, I know you did some bodybuilding in the past. You're like, you're like basically like the epitome of a of an awesome man you know you got the brains you a lot of brains you got the brawn all that stuff and you're a super nice guy but after reading your blog i see there was you, you you've been through some fairly dark times to say the least would you mind um giving us a little bit of your story uh, as we start oh absolutely well i mean first and foremost i, I really appreciate the kind words chris it it means a lot and um yeah, I'm, I'm just really flattered and honored. And it, it is fulfilling to uh, share my story a little bit because I, I think it's uh, something that's important to be talked about. And it's really kind of what I've committed my life's work to doing. Um, and I actually, well, I'll, I'll circle back to that. So, you know, with my story, um, as you said, I, I got out of high school and uh I jumped straight into the Navy for the SEAL program, which at the time was really my life goal. And uh, growing up, I was always a very motivated person. And I just always wanted to be the best 
at whatever it was that I was going to do, whatever sets my soul on fire. I just wanted to be the best or kind of one of the best, the elite. And, um, you know, in maybe my naive and simplistic uh, teenage brain, that pretty much equated to I wanted to be a real life superhero. And, and the Navy SEALs kind of seemed like the closest thing. And so I did. I, I chased that pretty relentlessly. And, um, you know, unfortunately, when I was in boot camp, they found I had an inguinal hernia. So they had to pull me out of training and figure out what to do with me because, well, you need surgery, you have an injury. Um, and so I was medically discharged, which really sucked at the time because it kind of felt like my whole life dream was being ripped away from me. And the thing is, um, you know, you hear about this a lot with like sports psychology where sports psychologists will discuss with their athletes like, hey, you know, you're a 20 something year old superstar athlete making millions of dollars and your entire identity is wrapped up in being that superstar athlete. But you're one injury away from having no purpose in life, right? And in purpose is everything. In fact, there's literature, scientific literature to support that humans need a sense of purpose just to be biologically healthy at the cellular level. So when my, what I thought was my purpose was kind of taken away from me, I found myself feeling pretty lost and uh, uncertain about everything, my identity, why I was here. And I think that time of my life really sort of unveiled that in a way I was kind of a, a high functioning, depressed individual. Um, you know, growing up and in my kind of late teenage, early 20s, um, I did really struggle with a lot of just kind of dark, heavy sort of uh, thoughts and emotions. And I wrestled with that a lot because I, I worked with multiple therapists and uh, I never really felt like there was something wrong with me or I had like really bad outlook. And unfortunately, with mental health in the, the modern world today, there's such a stigma and taboo that surrounds mental health. It's kind of this like shameful, um, uncomfortable sounding subject. People don't know what to do with it. But then when you actually look into some of the uh, epidemiological research and statistics, uh, depression is one of the leading causes of morbidity and, and mortality in the world today. And in fact, uh, suicide is actually one of the top four killers of ages 10 to 55 for Americans and the second leading cause of death for ages 10 to 34. And so I, I think it's really important. And this is where I'm very transparent about sharing a little bit of uh, my story, because I, I think all that taboo and stigma is extremely destructive to us actually making progress and realizing that depression and mental illness uh, really isn't that different than than any other chronic disease. Mm. And we can get more into that later. But circling back, um, you know, after the Navy, I, I spent a few years trying to figure out my purpose. Uh, I got certified as a personal trainer and, and began my health professional career. But I actually kept spiraling down. And it was when I found myself in a, in a very toxic, unhealthy situation that I actually uh, had an intentional overdose on my um, Wellbutrin, which is a dopamine agonist antidepressant medication. And so I found myself um, literally waking up in the intensive care unit, breathing out of a tube. And that was really kind of the rock bottom of my life. And that was 
early 2014. And I've been on this just incredible kind of climb ever since then. So to now be sitting here and, you know, I'm still alive, I'm still here. Uh, and to be able to share my How story, what then? I've learned along the way. I was, uh, how old was I? Uh, six years. So I was about 21, 22, something like that. Okay. Yeah. You're about 28 now, right? Yep, I am. Yeah. So it was, um, that was the, well, actually, I don't know. I don't know that I could say that was the lowest point, to be honest, because it was still pretty rocky for a couple of years out of that. Um, and, you know, it wasn't until later that I was alone and uh, independent and starting to really kind of claw my way out of that rock bottom. And, you know, that's really what steered me into uh, the, the functional medicine, holistic health world. So, you know, having started as a more trainer and nutritionist and kind of a little bit more bro science and the lifting weights and working out and eating, counting your macros and trying different diets. Um, that's all great. But then, then that really steered me into, okay, so what happens when eating well, working out, having a healthy lifestyle, what happens when that, that's not enough? And what can we do? So a lot of times when I'm speaking about mental health, I like to really almost distinguish that there's the major components. There's the psychological side of it and then the physiological. And really, you kind of have to separate it just to make it easier to sort it out. But in reality, it's the two halves of the yin-yang. You know, you can't really separate it. I think that's what makes it so hard for people struggling with their mental health to be able to navigate their way out of the darkness is because it's a compilation of all these physiological factors mixed in with the psychological factors. So it can be really hard to know where to begin. Yeah. And we tend to label mental health issues as solely psychological when we actually know there's a great uh, physiological component to all of pretty much any illness or disorder, isn't there? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that's the thing, you know, these days, uh, a lot of general medical practitioners will throw out antidepressant drugs, kind of like Halloween candy. And, you know, certainly there's a time and a place for those medications. I would never say otherwise, but we just overuse it. And, you know, I've pulled so many kind of alarming statistics on the matter. And it really comes down to most people that are put on some sort of psychiatric drug that absolutely can have a myriad of negative side effects. Most of those people have never actually seen a psychological professional or, you know, then with our uh, psychological psychiatric model, uh, I think it's a pretty outdated model. So, you know, there's a huge new wave of, you know, integrative psychiatry that's really exploding right yeah. now. You have in that blog article I was reading last night, you said you, you have a quote, less than a third of Americans taking an antidepressant have actually had an appointment with a mental health professional within the past year, suggesting a critical weakness in a system where medication is widely available. So, um, yeah, so it seems like these drugs uh, are pretty much the first port of call when we have a lot of other uh, much safer and potentially much more effective interventions, don't we? Absolutely. You know, I think uh, anybody that studies holistic functional sciences and just having a, a more holistic macro view. Cause I, I think one of the 
I don't know that I want to say failures, but one of the shortcomings of conventional healthcare, uh, the short-sightedness, the myopia, and uh, the reductionistic nature of how we look at things. And so, you know, what we're really starting to see emerging from the research now, and there's all the functional stuff to, to support it, but we are, are really seeing that whether it's depression, anxiety, bipolar, schizophrenia, neurodegenerative disease, these are largely inflammatory driven conditions. So, you know, there's the more, I don't want to say outdated, but it's becoming less relevant, the, the monoamine theory of depression, which is kind of the classic, it's a, it's a chemical imbalance, right? Like, well, it's not your fault. You just have this chemical imbalance. You need to take all these drugs, uh, find that right drug cocktail to balance your, your crazy chemicals. Um, but actually right now there are, um, interleukin six antibody drugs, uh, that are being, that are actually in phase two clinical trials for, uh, treatment resistant depression. So they're literally studying anti-inflammatory drugs as a new, uh, therapeutic pharmaceutical agent for depression and other mental illnesses. So there, you know, I, I sometimes get some pushback when I say that depression and anxiety and mental illness is largely an inflammatory disorder, but the science is extremely solid and big pharma is already trying to figure out how to profit off that. So then the question becomes, how can we, uh, you know, reduce the inflammatory burden more naturally and holistically, which is all mm -hmm. environment and lifestyle driven. Yeah. So can we go back then to, uh, in your case, how did you get yourself out of that uh, hole? That's, that's a really good question. You know, I was in a, um, I was in a relationship at the time, uh, which probably was not the healthiest relationship, I'll, I'll be honest. And so there was certainly a lot of kind of toxicity to the relationship and some codependency and gaslighting and kind of all that stuff. But you know, our, our life circumstances were hard. Um, she had three children and, and life was just hard. Uh, there wasn't really a lot of support. It kind of felt like her and I against the world in a lot of ways. And our life circumstances weren't really matching up. But to make matters worse, um, we were all kind of suffering from these more physiological symptoms that nobody, nobody could figure out. And so that was actually the big healing crisis that really was what got me into functional medicine. It wasn't as much my own mental health struggles as it was. There was a very specific day where my at the time fiance, uh, she woke up and her, her uh, trapezius on the side of her body was completely locked up. I mean, it was just like this steel cord cramp from hell. You know, she couldn't turn her neck. She was in a lot of pain and agony. And literally that morning was like the marking point of the hardest phase of my entire life. And it wasn't until literally years after the relationship had ended that I got exposed to, you know, a lot of these cool functional medicine subjects, one of which being mold illness, which has now become such a huge focal point of my work. Um, and I never did uh, get to confirm my suspicion, but I'm convinced to this day that we were all suffering from some, some mold-induced uh, symptomology because the house we lived in was old, it was water damaged, it was musty, the bathroom had flooded one summer that we were living there. And it was actually shortly after that that we all 
started getting um, symptomatic. You know, she was kind of more the canary in the coal mine. I had a huge flare up in, in fatigue and my cognitive dissonance with ADHD and depression. Her son had a lot of sinusitis, allergy type symptoms, brain fog. At the time, I was just a trainer nutritionist. I had no idea what I was looking at, but it wasn't until years later that I was like, I, that has to be it. So that was really what steered me in because we were trying to figure out what was wrong with her. You know, we went to conventional doctors, naturopathic, chiropractic, you know, physical therapy. We, we were doing everything trying to figure out what was going on with her. So it was, it was a pretty tragic time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, uh, what, what inter so what interventions, if I can call them that, did you undertake that actually now brought you to where you are now? Now you're obviously super fit, obviously in a great, um, state of mental health. You're actually, uh, you're educating, I'm sure in, in, in many cases, folks twice, probably twice your age. Or thereabouts. So, what 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 did you do? What, what's the? Let's talk about the protocol. Let's talk about the testing uh, side of things for a bit. Mm -hmm. What did you Absolutely. do in your case? And we can then kind of discuss what what you do with kind of more intractable cases with your clients. Yeah, yeah. So it was um, it was after I was out of that house and out of that relationship and getting distance from the situation. That's when the healing really began both on a psychological and physiological level. And again, that's, that's why I like to make that distinction between the two. Um, you know, I just posted about this on social media today, but a lot of times people will do anything they can to avoid having to face themselves internally and kind of face some of those uh, inner psychological, you know, trauma that hasn't been resolved, whatever it is. But from more of a physiological perspective, I mean, as soon as I was out of that atmosphere, the the kind of unhealthy relationship, the unhealthy environment, I already was starting to feel better. But some of the major things that I was really working on to improve my own physiological health, you know, the the non-celiac gluten sensitivity was a huge one, which can be its own kind of gut and neurological wrecking stressor, if you will. Uh, the mold illness, which I, I did actually confirm in myself from doing some different mold testing and, and um, blood work and whatnot, organic acids and such. Uh, I did a lot of work with neurotransmitters as well, which neurochemistry is kind of like my first sort of functional medicine subject love, but to maybe simplify some of it, because these are a lot of specific subjects, you know, the gut health, the gut brain axis, the reducing the inflammation, uh, balancing nutrient deficiencies, right? So working through that holistically, because I was always fit, I was always eating a pretty clean diet. Um, but that's not always enough. So sometimes you do have to identify some of those key root cause contributing factors. Uh, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So basically testing and then, uh, understanding the metabolic imbalances and then doing something about them most, mostly with supplementation diet. And I think uh, we, we, you actually, you cover a, a great point there where it, it's like the, the psychological thing can trigger physio. It, it, actually, maybe this is a good segue. Can you tell us, can tell the listeners what kind of, other than, you know, just the psychological stress, you know, of like someone honking at you or cutting you off, what are the various types of stressors 
that you know we can that can get inflicted on us and how does that how do those stressors actually contribute to ill health or just diminished well-being mm-hmm. absolutely you know one of my favorite uh phrases i've been throwing around a lot lately is uh thoughts become proteins right you know we used to say thoughts become things uh, but I think a little bit more scientifically, thoughts become proteins. You know, our, our whole body is really sculpted by all of these protein enzymes that regulate virtually everything about our biochemistry and then our physiology. So we are actually, there's a lot of great neuroscience and psychological research that really shows how, in a lot of ways, our physiology follows our psychology. And, and it kind of goes both ways again, but uh, I think a big takeaway is, you know, there's been research studies looking at um, individuals that if if they think that they're ill, if they believe that they are ill and they're, you know, shaping their neuroplasticity in this I am ill sort of way, well, before you know it, they kind of manifest their own illness, right? So we do really kind of think our way into a lot of our own ailments in some ways. Now, I think that can get a little confusing. I'm certainly not at all saying that like, oh, it's all in your head, like you're making yourself ill. Well, that's not always the case. But sometimes it's kind of like the chicken or the egg. And you really have to, um, you know, reevaluate the psychology and your outlook and your belief system. So this is a huge focal point of my work. And one of uh, the subject I'm going to be lecturing about here in in about a month at a conference, where looking at that gut brain axis of looking at we have all of these um, neurotrophic factors that ultimately uh, either induce or inhibit neurogenesis, which is the, the formation of neurons and neural networks in our brain. And I think understanding the, I don't even want to call it a theory, but the model of neuroplasticity, I think it's very empowering for anybody that's struggling with their mental health, because essentially uh, what neuroplasticity research and science is showing us and telling us is we actually have a lot of influence over our brain and our neural networks. And it's really not that different than, you know, if I want to go have big biceps, I go to the gym and do some curls. So I am stimulating those fibers. And of course, you know, the body operates on that um, principle of specific adaptation to impose demand, which is, you know, personal trainer science 101. That's why we exercise is to create that specific adaptation. But now we're actually really seeing, well, the brain operates on that same premise and that same basis. So, for example, with classic trauma therapy, there's a lot of focus on, you know, really digging into the trauma and kind of like reliving the trauma in order to process it and then work your way out of it. But some of my uh, psychology friends uh, and clients, you know, they question that of like, well, if we're trying to... Uh, reshape our neuroplasticity and get out of that toxic uh, negative pattern that we can get so stuck in, maybe we shouldn't spend so much time dwelling there. Maybe we should really focus on, you know, better thoughts, better outlooks and and kind of reframing the belief system, right? So that's where you're going to start quite literally changing the neural connections of your brain and in a way, sculpt your your mind into living in a in a happier, healthier place, and then the physiology really follows suit with that. Whether it's the cortisol through the HPA axis or different inflammatory proteins, so uh, the kind of mind over matter thing really can't be emphasized enough. So, so by 
by changing the the focal point of your consciousness from the, let's say the trauma or the anger or whatever you're literally causing like I, i love i love that phrase uh thoughts becomes proteins because you're literally causing a different milieu of neurotransmitters immune uh, immune molecules and so on right so less cortisol less adrenaline perhaps you know more um parasympathetic hormones so that has a direct positive effect on your physiology mm -hmm. exactly right and with um the the most popular well known of these neurotrophic factors that cause that formation of new neural networks uh is BDNF or brain derived neurotrophic factor and what we see through the literature you know there's all these different factors that will either uh inhibit and kind of block BDNF from doing its neural network forming work or upregulate it so we th see things like cortisol and stress really inhibits neurogenesis whereas things like sunlight things like exercise things like sleep or even uh things like psychedelics actually really upregulate BDNF and so yeah um not to go too I was just sideways say, with that yeah I was just going to say I was looking at a study where microdoses of LSD 5 10 and 20 micrograms stimulated BDNF production I saw that yeah. last week mm -hmm. yeah Exactly. But, um, yeah, th there's a guy called Brandt Courtright. He has a great book, uh, Neurogenesis, Diet and Lifestyle. He does talk about, you know, certain foods like, you know, blueberries and I think curcumin, uh, not curcumin, but turmeric. And like you say, exercise and um, sunlight, things like that. So, yeah, that's really cool. Right. So, but that's, that's, that's one end of the equation. But I think maybe, you know, uh, folks that, are somewhat stuck in the paradigm of it's all psychological might focus on those things. They might even do things like EFT, you know, emotional freedom technique, which is really great, I think. But what about all the hidden metabolic and physiological, um, you know, stuff going on that people are largely unaware of still? How can that contribute yeah. to this? Absolutely. You know, and that's, that's again, why I create that distinction, because, you know, I, I love all of the more psychological, esoteric, you know, modalities, whether, whether it is doing psychedelics in kind of the more spiritual setting, or Reiki, or EFT, or breath work, or any of these amazing modalities. But I will also say that you can do all of that. But if you're totally missing out on something like, you know, you're, uh, gluten sensitive and you don't know it or you have an underlying fungal infection or dysbiosis or you know leaky gut leaky brain some sort of stealth infection it doesn't really matter how much of that reiki that you're going to do you're still going to feel really ill because you are uh because there is more of an inflammatory incident so you know when i'm training practitioners and and doctors and health professionals which is really my my you know way of making a living, um, I always like to kind of back up and simplify the equation because I think, you know, metabolic health gets really confusing really fast. So ultimately, I like to look at it as more, uh, you know, what are the two great plagues of the human metabolism and human body, which is really inflammation and oxidative stress. So Can I you just explain what oxidative stress is for, for the listeners. 
Yeah, absolutely. So with oxidative stress, you know, easiest analogy is thinking about the, uh, the iron that's sitting out in the yard and it's just rusting away as the iron is being oxidized and it breaks down. So the same thing, you know, is happening in our body constantly as part of our natural metabolic process. So anytime we're making ATP, we're also going to be making these different superoxide radicals or hydroxyl radicals and all these, you know, free radicals, reactive oxygen species that do, they, they damage, they oxidize our cells. So there's kind of all of these uh, pro-oxidant molecules, such as, you know, heavy metals is a big pro-oxidant or different types of, you know, infections can cause a uh, hyper-oxidative environment. But then we have all of our antioxidants, right? And so certainly, you know, a lot of us are really suffering from excess oxidative stress and inflammation where, you know, we're not ingesting enough of the nutrients to be able to really fuel our antioxidant pathways, but we're also uh, in a much more toxic pro-oxidative environment than ever before with EMF has been shown, but so Wi-Fi and, you know, electromagnetic fields have been shown to induce proxynitrite and increase reactive oxygen species or heavy metals or all the environmental toxicants, the BPA, the phthalates, so on and so forth. So we really have created a, a modern lifestyle that's highly inflammatory, highly uh, oxidative, and then all the while we're not getting enough of what we need to be able to neutralize that inflammation, to neutralize those radicals. And so we're just uh, kind of cooking ourselves with the fire of inflammation and, and sort of the um, degradation of oxidative stress. So I always like to really focus on, okay, how can we reduce the oxidative and inflammatory burden, which yeah. a lot of times that kind of comes down to, you know, the 90% of your lifestyle behaviors, and then that kind of 10 20% of the, you know, the different microbes or different toxins or antigens that are provoking that kind of cytokine storm, if you will. That was a lot of information. Yeah, that's, uh, that's so important. I I definitely, uh, all my closest people and my clients and anyone with a, a health concern, I, I always, you know, bang that drum of inflammation, oxidative stress, and we are not getting enough of the substrate, which is why, you know, every single day I take N-acetocysteine and glycine to support glutathione, you know, the, the master antioxidant uh, production, obviously the B vitamins to support the mitochondria. And of course, I recommend all of these too. I think, I believe mo most people need to be taking, you know, extra zinc, extra selenium, uh, you know, B vitamins, uh, glycine, and acetocysteine, things like that, right? But here's here's one thing maybe you can chime in on, Brandon. So some people might be like, well, but I, I don't have any, I'm, I'm fine. You know, what are you talking about inflammation and oxidative stress? Can you tell us? What does that do to healthy people that have no actual diagnosable illness mm -hmm. over time? Yeah, you know, that's where kind of the, the topics of uh, immunosenescence and inflammaging, and inflammaging, uh, which is kind of a fun word, just literally inflammation, <laughs> inflammation and aging put together. Um, because we do, we, we see that there is strong evidence that, yes, you know, over time, as we age, uh, that kind of chronic lower grade inflammation 
you know, it starts growing over time. And as our bodies wear out, so to speak, as, um, you know, the immunosenescence, which really just means the immune system's getting old. It's not protecting you uh, quite as robustly as it used to. So I think a lot of it, and that, that's why we call it chronic disease, right? You know, you don't just wake up one day with type 2 diabetes or cardiovascular disease or metabolic syndrome or neurodegenerative disease. You know, it takes years, if not decades, of kind of that that slow cooking. So in a lot of ways, it's kind of like the uh, the frog in the boiling water, right? Where if you throw the frog in the boiling water, it it freaks out and jumps right out. But if you put it in, you know, room temperature water and then slowly heat it up, you, you cook the frog. And so I think that's really what we're dealing with these days. And it's sort of disguised as a, well, no, I mean, I feel fine, you know, eating my standard American diet, uh, living my standard American lifestyle with my standard American gut, standard American metabolism, like, I'm fine, you know, but I'm also on, you know, one, two, five different drugs, and I have to take ibuprofen every week, and my allergy pills every week and so on and so forth. And it's like, well, so are you, are you really that fine? And, you know, there's, there's a lot of gray area between optimal health versus a diagnosable disease by conventional healthcare standards. And that gray area is really where, where we work as, as functional professionals. And this is what I like to tell even like healthy guys, my age or, or younger, even your age, you know, I say, dude, you're just going to age faster. I, I, I think sometimes with my friends, at least, uh, it's my last resort to scare them into, dude, just buy some zinc, buy some, some multivitamins, man. You're just going to age faster. When you're 40, it will catch up on you. You have to combat this stuff. But let's talk about now, how do you, let's say we, we, you have, how do you, okay, you deal with some fairly complex clients cases right that's am i correct in assuming yeah I've, people I've don't just come to, to you because they have a, a cough or yeah i've managed to uh, attract people oh you're good i just i've somehow managed to start attracting a lot of people that have been ill for a long time and not really which that makes me sound way cooler than i think i deserve to sound to be honest it's just <laughs> one of those you know when you start talking about some of the more mysterious less commonly understood subjects, well, there's a lot of people that are falling through a lot of gaps. And even in the functional medicine space, I get all these people that went to that clinic and this clinic and that clinic. And I'm like, really? Like you didn't get better there? Like, oh, I hope I'm able to figure it out. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what's your approach? Tell us a little bit what you do with these kind of, let's say, you know, someone with serious autoimmunity or, you know, something really kind of um, uh, debilitating like that. Mm -hmm. What's your approach? You know, so first and foremost, I, I really, I almost kind of call myself more of a consultant than anything because, um, you know, especially with my background as, as a, a fitness and nutrition professional, people need to take more ownership of their health and their life. And, and in a lot of ways, I think kind of the, you know, coach client or practitioner client or doctor patient paradigm. Um, I think in some ways that can almost like set one another up for failure in some ways, because it's kind of this, well, I need something external to myself in order to get well, which is simply not true. 
you know, if, if you didn't have everything you need to be healthy and happy already within you, none of us would be here. You know, we, we evolved because we have these amazing meat suits that are capable of some beautifully complex, you know, immunology and physiology to protect us. So the reality is, you know, I think every individual is their own greatest self healer. And I think the best thing that we can do as health professionals is help educate and empower that inner self healer so that they can take control of their health. So when I'm consulting with people, I have to make that known up front because a lot of times, like I alluded to earlier, I find that, um, you know, obviously these days people have maybe a little bit, um, I don't know if it's they have a shorter attention span or their attention is being pulled in a million directions all the time because of our technology and, you know, information overload paralysis by analysis. So a lot of it comes down to first and foremost, we have to create a, a safe space for that individual to feel seen and heard and understood and loved and respected and empowered and educated so that they can really take on their own challenges. So I have to point that out before talking about any of the technical stuff, because if, if they're not on the same page or, um, you know, they're, they're looking at you thinking, well, you fix me. And it's like, no, 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 it's not how this works. Like there's nobody that can do the work for you. You know, doctors can give you drugs or they can, you know, cut you open if you need to, or you can go get an IV stuck in your arm. But ultimately you've got to do the work psychologically, physiologically, changing your behavior, changing your environment. So once I've kind of gotten through my sort of onboarding soapbox, well, then I am really using different lab testing to um, look under the hood and figure out objectively, like, eh, what do we see physiologically? And primarily, it's going to be blood work. And there's this explosion of all these sexy new functional tests, which that's great. That's cool. They're, they're helpful at times. Um, but a lot of these functional tests are not really super established scientifically. Some of them are a little bit more experimental, you know, especially it's like, oh, this test just came out yesterday. Okay, well, I don't think we've really clearly established the efficacy, the reliability, the technology, the clinical significance. So I do think we're kind of in this time right now where... I think we, I think sometimes the functional industry can be better at creating problems than solving them. Mm -hmm. So a really good example, and then I'll shut up, is um, one, one of my favorites, like mycotoxin testing, right? You know, looking at mold toxins in the urine or the blood. Um, and that's great. But the thing is, with like mycotoxin testing, you know, you're quite literally measuring mold toxins that you're peeing out of your body. You know, they're being excreted. Now, a lot of clients or patients or even practitioners and professionals, if they get that mold toxin test back and have high levels of toxins, they kind of immediately make a huge problem out of it. Like, oh my gosh, you know, this shows it like you have mold illness, mycotoxicosis. We have to do this, you know, crazy six to 12 month detox protocol with thousands of dollars of supplements and yeah, all this stuff. But, but meanwhile, what is what does that piece of paper really mean? Because what you're peeing out doesn't reflect what's going on internally in your body. So I think we have to be really careful about uh, how we're interpreting some of these functional tests or, or how we're uh, extrapolating the significant data. Because 
a lot of this is not going to be reflective of the internal physiology, which is really going to be best and most objectively assessed with good old-fashioned blood work, just like you would do through your conventional doctor, but looking at it um, with kind of a finer eye, right? With conventional medicine, we have these really big reference ranges that are um, maybe a little bit outdated, right? I think glucose is a great example where uh, it's not until your fasting glucose hits like 115 that most doctors are going to say, ooh, you're pre-diabetic, here's your metformin. It's like, how many years did it take for that to get to that point? So maybe we should be, you know, focusing, looking at the the smaller changes over time, right? Mm-hmm. So I think everybody should be doing their blood work at least once, if not twice per year, just for general health monitoring. I'm glad you said that. Actually, I wanted to, this, this was a question I was going to ask a bit later, but what, in your view, are the most important blood tests people should run. I know, you know, they get the CBC, these standard tests, but I believe there's definitely some, you know, less common markers that, you know, more, most GPs run. What are those in your view? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, that, that standard blood chemistry with the, the comprehensive metabolic panel, the complete blood count, iron panel, lipid panel, um, the most important, right. You know, that's, that's why it's been the gold standard for all medical systems in the world for quite a while now. It's still the gold standard. And then of course, you know, how many uh, patients or individuals when they're feeling mysteriously ill, they go to their doctor, they do some blood work, and ultimately they just hear everything looks normal. There's nothing wrong with you. Maybe, yeah, maybe it's all just in your head. You want something to make you feel better. So unfortunately, again, and that's where there's a huge amount of gray area in between and looking at that blood work through more of a functional lens and how can we analyze it more thoroughly and see more subtle sort of like meta patterns that might indicate actually you're starting a trend in a little bit of a way that's, you know, oxidative or inflammatory or this is creeping up. But on top of that, there's a lot of different great biomarkers that, um, are not really your routinely measured markers that I think kind of should be. So a good example would be like homocysteine, which is probably one of the actually more commonly used markers. It's not usually unless the medical doctor is considering like cardiovascular disease that maybe they Mm -hmm. throw that homocysteine on there. But in reality, homocysteine is an awesome marker for so many things related to mental health or detoxification and methylation and uh, insulin resistance. So there's so many different extra markers that we could be looking at. And I think if we can educate and empower people, I'm kind of to the point, I I think being able to read your own blood work is almost becoming like an essential life skill, which is unfortunately not at all practical for for your average consumer. But I I think we do need um, more education and awareness around that subject. For sure, and and I know that you're you're now doing um, seminars on reading blood work for practitioners, which I think is great. Thank you, thank you. It's definitely yeah. definitely something on my list of things to kind of get better at reading blood work because, um, like you say, homocysteine, you know, um, uh, uh, C-reactive protein, mm-hmm. um, things like whole blood histamine, very very important. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we can learn a lot from these markers. What um, what about talk to me? I know. I know you love the organic acids test. Tell me, this is actually one of my favorite tests as well. Tell, tell me why you love 
the organic assets there so much? Yeah. So, you know, it was uh, maybe like three, four years ago, I was sitting at this dinner with um, some cool people in the industry. And I don't know, maybe I was just uh, feeling uh, my ego maybe was flaring up a little bit because I made the comment of like, oh, yeah, you know, give me some blood work and organic acid tests and I'll make magic happen. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, that's what you happen when you're sitting with a bunch of cool professionals having a couple drinks. Yeah. Um, but I do, I, I really like the organic acid test. Um, I think when it comes to the, the, the functional labs, I think organic acids is one that it's been around longer. I think that technology is a little bit more established. I think the clinical significance is more established. Um, there's no such thing as a perfect test. Even blood work is horribly imperfect. And, you know, all lab testing is kind of this imperfect snapshot of a moment in time, which is why the professional clinical critical thinking skills are so important. But with organic acid testing, the technology was originally used to detect for these gross genetic abnormalities, primarily in newborns, such as there's this horrible genetic disease called maple syrup urine disease, um, and so originally they were using organic acid testing technology to look for these different amino acid metabolites that might indicate, hey, you know, this individual, this child, this newborn even uh, has a genetic inborn error, a genetic mutation, and they're not able to actually metabolize certain amino acids, which, you know, that to maybe the average listener, it's like, what does that mean? But ultimately, it's like, if we can't process and metabolize amino acids properly, and we can't uh, then form different proteins and enzymes properly, I mean, that is the machinery of our body. It's the machine, proteins are the machinery of life itself. So that's actually huge. And so like with maple syrup urine disease, usually any newborns born with that, they don't make it to the age of three or five, it depends on which gene and severity. But, you know, there are numerous organic acids that, in fact, uh, are kind of the gold standard for certain things, such as, you know, I, I don't know any doctor or practitioner that would uh, rebuttal that, like methylmalonic acid is the gold standard for assessing a vitamin B12 deficiency. So it, it gets pretty technical with the biochemistry, but essentially organic acids, we're looking at this metabolite that's sort of a, a byproduct of a faulty chemical reaction. So I always like to teach it of, you know, if we have a perfect chemical equation, theoretically, I'm not a mathematician or a chemist, but if we have like one unit of product that goes into an enzyme, if that enzyme is working at 100% capacity, it has the cofactors, coenzymes, there's nothing inhibiting that enzyme, well, theoretically, we should then yield one unit of product for our one unit of substrate. But what we see with organic acids is, well, if that equation isn't working very well, we get this kind of spillover of this metabolite that kind of shouldn't be there. And it's really indicative that that biochemistry is not working at full capacity. So we can use organic acids to assess things like mitochondrial function or different types of microbial imbalances, or even like the glutathione pathway has some beautiful um, organic acids such as pyroglutamate or 5-oxoproline, or it might be 2-oxoproline. But, you know, these metabolites that show us like, oh gosh, you know, your detox pathways aren't working or you have mold overgrowth in your body. So I think the organic acid test is a very cost-effective way to 
kind of um, survey a lot of different systems and pathways in the body that then we can correlate with the blood work, we can correlate with the symptoms to kind of figure out what's going on. And so I know with you having a book on autism, for example, um, I highly recommend anyone that has an autistic child to do an organic acid test because there's a lot of, you know, common disturbances, as you well know. So it's a, it's a valuable test. Yeah. Yeah. That's the one test that I talk about in my book is the most important. Mm -hmm. You only run, if you only run one, that's the one you need to run. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I, I had the pleasure of, of meeting Dr. Shaw, the, you know, the director of the Great Plains Lab in Spain last year at a workshop. Yeah. And he told me, I was speaking to him and he said, they can actually detect hundreds of organic acids, but they just don't have any, you know, um, research or evidence on how they can be utilized. So it's, it's actually really exciting to know that potentially in the future we could have, you know, tens more of these markers, you know, in, on the one test, which I think is amazing. Yeah, absolutely. I actually, um, Great Plains and, and Dr. Shaw is like five minutes away from me right now here in Kansas. Hey, you're in Kansas? They're, yeah, they're in my backyard. That, yeah. yeah. That's yeah. so amazing. So you just drop samples off instead of getting the courier? Yeah, sometimes I, I will. So I'll just amazing. drive over there and give them my kit. Um, and that, that was actually so awesome. a kind of a cool, like full circle part of my story. Because like with the uh, suspected, you know, mold situation that I previously dealt with, you know, it wasn't until years after that, that situation was over that I learned about mold and organic acids. And so it's just like crazy and ironic that the laboratory that's really pioneering a lot of that research was five minutes away, you know, the whole time I was just like, Oh, my gosh. So um, but you're right. There's, there's a lot that we don't know. And I, I think as we continue to do research, we'll, we'll see a lot more of these metabolites and understand the clinical significance behind that. Cause that's kind of where it's like these days, I think we're in a time, this applies a lot to like stool testing and PCR very much. So, because I think we're at a time where our technology has greatly surpassed our understanding and so it's kind of one of those, I, I challenge my student practitioners of, hey, guys, just because we can measure something doesn't necessarily mean we should. It doesn't necessarily mean it's helpful. So that's where um, there's a lot of science to be done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, wanna, I want you to um, help any, I know there's always, I think, at least two types of listener to a podcast like this. There's people that are fully, you know, the functional medicine model is amazing. This is, you know, this is the future of medicine. And then there is kind of the more conventionally minded folks that, you know, and not not without disparaging anybody. You know, I, I also believe we have some amazing drugs. When I broke my leg 10 years ago or what those emergency doctors did was absolutely amazing. So I, I love s s certain drugs like metformin, like paracetam for the brain. So we have amazing stuff coming out of conventional medicine. Can you tell folks, because maybe we should have started with what, what is functional, what is the functional approach to health and how does that differ from, you know, the, the current paradigm? Mm -hmm. Yeah, really, really good. Uh, topic because you know the way that i've found myself speaking to that a, a bit more recently 
I'm not a politic person at all. I don't really care for politics, but it's similar in nature where I almost kind of think of conventional healthcare, conventional medicine, uh, kind of like your Republican Party, the conservatives, where, you know, maybe if they are a little bit more stereotypical, maybe a little bit stubborn, a little bit closed minded, a little bit arrogant at, at times, you know, that's the cliche, that's the stereotype, not saying, but you know, and then on the other side, you kind of have the, the radical left liberals, Democrats. And the reality is, isn't the truth kind of somewhere in the middle? Always, it's it's always somewhere in the middle. There's, you know, a lot of gray space in between those two poles. And unfortunately, we live in a very polarizing world. It's, you know, this versus that us versus them warrior mindset, instead of a scout mindset of like, let's check the ego let's observe, let's look at what evidence, let's stay open-minded, but remain scrutinous. So I think it's an exciting time for the industry because, you know, I think functional medicine ultimately is more of a paradigm than a methodology. And, and I think it's showing sort of this, um, I think it should be a humble process of unlearning. You know, I think if we look at the past 100 years of you know, medical research and medical care, we're kind of just now waking up and going, wait a second, you know, we, we are creatures, we are essentially big walking microbes of the earth. How did we get so disconnected from our natural way of life to the point that we are creating our own disease that is chronic disease? Like chronic disease is kind of in a way, like a, a new thing in, in, in a way, it's a, it's a new paradigm of like, wait a second, lifestyle environment induced chronic illness that there is no drug to make 20 years of degeneration go away. So unfortunately, because it's such a polarized space, I think uh, there is a little bit too much like, oh, well, you know, dumb conventional medicine, they don't look for the root cause, like so silly and whatever. No, we need more functional medicine where we just do tons of testing to identify that that root cause, whether it's gluten or mold or parasites or whatever it is. And I think that can be kind of misleading and damaging as well. So ultimately, functional medicine is this more ideally holistic and root cause oriented way of approaching human health. But again, I think sometimes it can be a little bit better in theory than application. Um, like I said, I think sometimes we create problems better than we solve them. So ultimately, I, I want to see functional medicine continue to emerge as a melting pot where we're using the best technology with, um, you know, the best research, but also that innate wisdom that we've forgotten, right? You know, Chinese medicine or or medicine was always more of a holistic modality until the rise of, of big pharma. So I, I definitely think we've gotten carried away with exclusively relying on pills to basically enable our own self-destructive lifestyle behaviors. <laughs> so I think we all need to kind of check ourselves and realize like the work that's being done by big pharma and scientists and conventional medicine, it's amazing. It's amazing. The technology, the science, I mean, all the science we have is pretty much funded by that big mm -hmm. system. So I don't think that's really the problem. I think it's us as the collective. We have to start learning what is a health promoting lifestyle. And then, yes, uh, not being so 
drug oriented, but yeah, starting to look at what are those root cause contributing factors that cause that oxidative stress and inflammation that ultimately is, is driving the, uh, the chronic disease manifestation. Yeah. So it's a matter of education. Yeah, it is education, education and empowerment. Yeah. And ownership. And absolutely. And that education needs to unfortunately start a little bit earlier. It's uh, the, the school system. We don't really learn a lot of fundamental life skills that we ought to know, you know, so, but um, tell, tell me now that you are teaching practitioners in many cases, medical doctors, and even uh, functional, uh, 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 I suppose there's a, a wide variety of practitioners that go to your seminars and your talks and consume your content and your courses. How has their receptivity to the information? Because it can be fairly paradigm busting all the stuff. How has their receptivity changed over the last few years while you're doing this? Yeah, you know, that's a good question. Um, I, I've honestly been uh, relatively pleasantly surprised by how well it is received. You know, every now and then you kind of get somebody trolling you on the internet and, you know, pushing back, which is, um, you know, I think more of a reflection of like scarcity mindset and fear and, and, and anything that challenges somebody's belief system. But ultimately, I think there's a huge amount of interest. And I think people are really looking for um, evidence-based uh, modalities and strategies that kind of make sense, right? It, you know, using, you know, again, mold as just a, a good example, um, using that as, as an example where, okay, so conventional medicine, they know about fungal infections. That's, that's nothing new. But, but then this is where like the microbiome has changed everything we think we know about human health, about medicine, you know, uh, in, especially in the year 2020 with the events of this year, there's been a lot of chatter about, um, germ theory and immunity and herd immunity and all of these things, because, you know, classically, if you think, you know, back to like hunter gatherer times, we lived in the dirt. We ate germs all the time. We ate animals and plants straight out of the earth. There, you know, there was none of the modern hygiene as we know it, this sterile world and sterile environment. But it makes sense, right? Where uh, of how germ theory emerged of, well, if somebody gets sick, it's because they caught a bug. And then there's an acute infection where, oh, you know, you have a viral infection, a bacterial infection, a fungal parasitic a bug got you and now you have a fever of 104 and your white blood cells are at 20 and through the roof. And so our medical system has been so focused on that. And I think where conventional healthcare started going wrong is ultimately when they focused on disease rather than health. You know, they were so focused on what causes disease that they were never looking at, well, what actually facilitates health. And so all of this microbiome research it's kind of destroyed all of that. We're now we're really realizing like, wait a second, we're coated with microbes inside and out. And actually this, you know, garden of life that is our unique microbiota, it regulates everything about our health, our immune system and every system of our body. So that's where, well, gosh, how do you then um, test and identify and, and diagnose and treat a faulty microbiome. What does that mean? We don't really know yet. You know, so that's where 
it's like on this side of the spectrum, you have your acute infection that any medical doctor should be able to spot right away and give you antibiotics or antifungals or whatever. But then there's, if it's not that, there's this huge gray kind of unknown area that's dysbiosis, microbiome disturbance, which has been associated with every chronic disease known to man. But we haven't really pinned down, well, what should the microbiome look like? How do we test that? How do we measure that? How do we qualify that? So I think now we have to really kind of learn more about how we fit into the natural biological world of microbes. So it's crazy times. Yeah. So ultimately, you know, I, I think we live in a very exciting time where the most simple way I, I think I could put all of it that almost ties it all together is if we, I think sometimes we're so focused on, on medicine and how do we advance medicine and how do we treat disease we've lost sight of the bigger picture of what it means to be at homeostasis and live symbiotically with the natural world that we've evolved in. You know, humans are ultimately a very young species and we've come a long ways in the past 100 years, especially with the technological advances that we've made in the past 50 years. So our, our technology and way of life has just skyrocketed in these crazy ways but ultimately, the, the problem that is causing a lot of our uh, illness as a species or, you know, the destruction of our home planet is we are the only species on this planet that's living dysbiotically with the natural world. So what I hope to see is, especially with the events of 2020, is we all wake up a little bit and realize that as essentially big microbes in this, this species that is the humans we need to return to symbiosis. We need to unlearn a lot of our ways and relearn how can we live uh, in peace and harmony with the natural world, right? So I think we'll find a lot of our solutions as we work towards returning to symbiosis. And I think microbiome research is really just pointing us and pushing us more in that direction. But as of right now, though, unfortunately, as we see with the events of 2020, our government healthcare system is still very gung ho on germ theory. You know, they're still trying to really pull us this way. We need more vaccines. We need more antibiotics. Um, whereas the research is pointing us literally the exact opposite direction. So we got to sort that out. <laughs> yeah. You know what? Like it's, it's, I'm actually sometimes. I listen to you and I almost get goosebumps because like yeah, for such a young man, you know, you, there's a lot of wisdom coming out there and I'm glad, you know, there's, there's guys like you kind of t teaching and, and not just teaching clients, but teaching teachers, teaching the practitioners, because, you know, that's kind of what it, actually the word doctor meant used to mean is teachers. And, um, you know, we like, like we, we have to, become a little bit more humble because as you just outlined in terms of the microbiome research, there's, we, we don't know what we don't know. We know so little. We, we, that we think we're, we, we know we've seen the, the, we've grabbed the elephant's tail. Now we think the elephant is a snake, that kind of way. So I love the work you're doing, Brendan. Thank you for, for really kind of stepping up and we need more guys like you. Thank you for stepping up. Thank you for, creating all the resources that you are and can, and you know, I wish you all the best with continuing to expand this kind of already really good 
bank of information that you uh, provide. So can you tell folks where they can find you? Yeah, you know, Christian, thank you so much for for that. It, it really does mean a lot. Uh, sometimes, you know, I I, I start feeling, <laughs> I'm just like, wow, I don't know why why are more people not not getting it right? It, it, it's it's almost when you start looking at the big picture and breaking it down and looking at the evidence, it's like, how are we not getting it? How how are we still so stuck in our ways? Unfortunately, I don't think humans are uh, the most objective or humble species on the planet. Um, so it really means a lot. And, and to your own credit, I mean, you know, like there's a lot of amazing work being done out there. No, no one person can do it all. So the more that we can, you know, come together symbiotically and, 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 and do this work. So I, I really appreciate you and the platform that you're doing because you're doing a lot of amazing work yourself. And it's when we all put our heads together, you know, that's where the magic is. So. Actually, um, before before you yeah. tell the folks where they can find you, I just want to add to that point. And uh, what you said is actually very important. It's we, as a species, we're not very humble, and um, this is where you know uh, some thinkers of our time think that we are coming to a crescendo in terms of our you know uh, egoic identification with ourselves, and this ego will continue to kind of inflate and destroy until whatever the, the species or the planet or the host cannot bear anymore. And we will, will suffer uh, 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 some type of crisis uh, as we, and we can kind of see that we're, we're heading in that direction, but through that crisis, maybe we can kind of have this kind of ego death rebirth that, you know, the transpersonal psychology talks about, and maybe that's where we're heading but we have, you know, guys like you out there pulling, pulling our collective evolution in that direction. This is actually what the podcast is about. It's the folks pulling our collective evolution to kind of the, it probably needs to be a quantum leap in terms of our, we cannot linearly solve the problems of our time, as Einstein said, with the same thinking. So it clearly needs to be a paradigm shift and you're one of those guys. So again, thank you for your work. And please tell folks where they can find your training yeah. and resources. Yeah. Thank you so much. I, I really couldn't agree more with everything you just said. So um, anybody can find me on the internet. I'm not too hard to find. We've got uh, Instagram is kind of our main platform that we put a lot of just daily content out. So that's at the holistic savage, which is the name of my podcast. Uh, and then uh, we've got as well as well. Our, our website, metabolic solutions, LLC.com. So metabolic solutions is the business. Um, but uh, we do, we, we try to just put thought provoking educational content just to elevate, educate, empower people uh, and kind of empower self healers to take control of their health and uh, their lives. So um, it, it's really been an honor. It's been a great conversation. Thank you, brother. Of course, we'll have all those links in the show notes and on the website. So um, once again, Brendan Vermeer, thank you so much for joining us on Connecting Minds. Hey, thank you, Christian. Thank you for listening to Connecting Minds. We hope you enjoyed this conversation and found it interesting, illuminating, or inspiring. For episode show notes, links, and further information on our guests, please visit ChristianJordanov.com. If you found this episode valuable, please share it with someone who might also enjoy it. 
Thank you for being here.